0: And you don't know me
1: yet. Another episode of Black Stage. Welcome back. And on the podcast today, we have living legend Khalil Kane. Uh, my friend Khalil is somebody who you've probably seen on one of your favorite movies or one of your favorite TV shows, Uh Dude is brilliant. I mean, I I can't really say much more. Khalil is super incredible and it was great to be able to catch up with him. He's been super busy directing, producing, writing. He's got so much going on in, in the midst of a pandemic, he has been able to find a way to still be able to create art. Uh, Of course, I had to talk to him about Juice. It's been 30 years since Juice debuted across movie screens uh, in America and around the world. And, you know, I think that it's incredible to be a part of so many amazing films and TV shows that people just literally know line by line. So this is a special episode. I think that you all are really going to enjoy it. And uh, this is The Black Stage. Okay, so on the podcast today, we have living legend, Khalil Kane. How are you doing, Khalil? I'm good. I'm at the crib,
2: man. Everything's good.
1: You know, I always admire these folks. I was just telling them before we started this conversation, these folks who have this incredible lighting. I mean, you literally look like you're in person with me and like my my camera's super foggy and you just got like this glow, this glow. through your camera so very much very much much so appreciate your time brother what's been going on during the pandemic you've been making it you've been making it work
2: um i've been staying in the crib you know in the lab cooking it up i've been doing a ton of writing um staying in touch with my loved ones uh staying healthy keeping an eye on my mom you know I don't know. It's been it's been a hectic time, but, you know, between my kids and my family and everybody staying healthy, it's been a good time. You know, even business wise, it's it's been good. A lot of of stuff
1: in the works. You got a lot of stuff in the works, and I and I'm looking forward to talking to you about it because you dropped a little little gem on me today, and I was like, wait, I didn't know anything about this, so we gonna we gonna talk about it. But um, you know, the the part that I, I really want to kind of like start with you on is, you know, Black Stage is about the journey. Uh, we talk about the journey. We talk about like, you know, who? Ha- yes, the journey, Khalil, the journey. Yes, because you have an amazing journey. And and before we even get into some of your your, your iconic projects, I really want to talk to you about Khalil Kane, who grew up in New York City. You know, Khalil, Khalil, who grew up in New York, you know, you don't, I feel like, I mean, I've watched a lot of your interviews, man. And in preparation for this conversation, I've been, you know, definitely re-upping on all the the Khalil interviews. And I want to talk to you about Khalil New York, because you are the son uh, of some icons um, and, and definitely someone who is deeply rooted in your community, but also you just love black people. Like you radiate the Lord. love, the yeah. the love of black people and telling black stories and honoring black people. So like, you know, I, I really want to kind of start with like, you know, who was Khalil growing up in New York? Who was that kid and, and how did he kind of like navigate? I was, I grew up in the
2: East village, man, down on the low East side. I had a legit fro, bro. My fro is real. Like, like I had like a silver's afro. And if you saw me when I was like 12, 13, I was zipping around on a skateboard in my overalls with my big fro, like back (laughs) in the wind, you know, on second Avenue coming down in the East Village. Like it was a different time, man. Like you, you were outside. Moms was like, go outside and play. I had my little crew. Um, It was, it was lovely back then. I think back to the seventies and as a, as a kid, in the East Village in the 70s. Like, I was very optimistic about the future of of American society. Like, the world I was seeing was super cool, man. A bunch of artists, well-read people, everybody was peaceful and loving, high. Like, they they were having a good time, man. And it was diverse. You know, a lot of different cultures. On my block alone, it was Black, Puerto Rican, white, Ukrainian, Italian, like one of my best friends, Bobby Walsh, his mom was Italian, his dad was Irish. My boy, Billy Molina, up the block, he was Puerto Rican. My man, Kanji, was Ghanaian, lived right next door to me. You know, I'm black and Chinese. Like, it was, I don't know, like, I didn't, I wasn't raised that way, and I didn't see any kind of hate, regard, I would hear about it but not really live it that sort of racial angry ugly hateful vibe that that we're living in right now mm-hmm. you know um so it's it, i and it was something that i thought about like wow you know the future the future's going to be dope, you know like we're going to get better
0: from here mm-hmm.
2: and not so
1: much not so much what was it about growing up in New York City in the 70s and, and 80s that that you cherish, I guess, even even now you talk about the diversity. But was there was there a sense of like pride in the community that you just kind of like carry with you to this day?
0: The 80s were lit, bro. Like, we
2: kept- <laughs> yo, we did whatever we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You are hitting me up right now. There wasn't there were no tracking devices mm-hmm. like you were doing. The things you really wanted to do, not the things you thought people would think were cool, because you were about to post it on IG. You know, mm-hmm. um, so we were kind of just getting down and doing our thing, and, and in New York City. So essentially, the world is your oyster, right? You're people right. from Berlin, right? And Hong Kong, and Paris, and like spring in New York was amazing. You know, I, I love my childhood. I cherish it. My teenage years, my 20s. Um, I mean, right now we look back on the 90s and everybody's like, "Ooh, because it was just so fly. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: um, you grew up, you grew I mean, New York's the birthplace for hip hop, right? Like it's the it's the it's it's a it's a it's a I, people call it the melting pot. I say it's a salad um, where everyone. <laughs> keeps and holds their identity. Um, but like, you know, it's all mixed in together. But, you know, definitely when you think about the 80s, the birth of hip hop and just that culture that was just permeating everywhere. And I can really kind of probably see you being a, a major part of that and like really kind of there was a
2: specific that. energy. You're mm-hmm. talking about a specific energy. Mm-hmm. When hip hop music dropped, it was something that the music industry did not exactly feel was going to be as powerful as it was that it wasn't going to dominate the entire globe the way that it does today they thought it was like a fad something this phase that we were just going through but on the streets like we felt that energy and actually injected it into to our daily movements the way we were moving around and speaking to each other and kind of inspiring each other there was power there you know and and we know that for a fact now because of how hip hop has wound its way into all facets of our life Mm -hmm. because that story is real, you know, Mm -hmm. it's honest. Um, I don't know, man. I think after the the civil rights movement in the sixties and that being sort of stomped out, the eighties became much more individual. The energy was there, but there's a fear factor when you know that, that, you tell the truth, you can die. You know? Yeah. They're gonna yeah. Come so we are yeah. moving, you know, inside. I mean, because like, when you think about the 80s, the
1: thing, yeah. When you think about the eighties, I mean, obviously the culture, but like at the same time you had the war on drugs, you had, you know, you know, the Bronx are burning. Like there were so many things that were happening during that time. Um, Reagan, Reaganomics, like all, all of that stuff. But then at the same time, you find beauty in all of that and you find joy and you find moments and you find culture and there's charisma and excitement.
2: I think the people that you knew, you really knew. So the people you were rocking with, the people that you saw on a daily basis, the people that you went out with, that was really your people. Mm -hmm. Like now, we don't really interact as much that way. We don't have to trust each other that way because we have so much information, so to speak. But Mm -hmm. I don't think that's as reliable as as we're told it is. Mm. I still, you know, I still got people from back then, you know. I've been, I've lost a couple, you know, in the last year or two, but like, you know, I do have friends that I, I've had for 30 years, you know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a different vibe. It's a different
1: vibe. It's interesting when you, we, you know, we talk about like this pre-social media era um, uh, of like just meet, meeting people authentically and just really actually knowing, you know, the the idea that like you can really just get to know someone without having to look them up. Right. You, you, you look up, you look up people, you look at people who are famous. You look up, look up people who like, you know, are of influence, but like just regular everyday people. It's just like, yo, i messing my own street. They super cool. Rather than like, let me see if I can find their Facebook or let me see if I can find their Instagram and what they're about and who they are. And like, how do they shape the world or impact the world? You know, it's, it's interesting. to kind of like, you know, reflect on that and
2: shift that, that, that idea. I mean, 30, 30 years in the industry, I can only, I mean, the only reason I've been able to sustain a, a career for 30 years is because of black people, black people have held me down. They've supported me. They've kept me, they've kept me here, regardless of, of what, what Hollywood says, you know, black folks are like, nah, that's my man. That's my man. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's funny meeting white people, you know, in the course of social activity, and they don't know who I am, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, talking and then seeing them go on their phone, and they're like, oh, 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 and it's like, yeah, right, what? (laughs) But does that matter? Can we still chop it up? Like, now you're talking to me kind of with a different tone, and that's weird, Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
2: but it is what it is. It, It can have its benefits, but at the same time, it's different. You, you went to high
1: school in New York. You also went to high school in California, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I graduated high school in Sacramento. Got so it. Yeah. Put <laughs> oh, Shout out to put out, huh? right. um, Question for you. When did you kind of start to see yourself as an artist?
0: Maybe 15 years ago. Really? Or
1: Really? So it wasn't like your early years, you didn't like in your early 20s, you didn't see yourself as an artist, you didn't see yourself as someone who was kind of like,
0: no, no, talent.
2: no, I, uh, well, this, uh, I don't want to sound um, arrogant. I, I was always talented. I always know was talented. When you talk about going to school in New York, I went to Hunter, Hunter mm-hmm. College High School. It's a gifted program. You know, you're supposed it's to be a good high school. Yeah, you know, good high school. Like, on, on the Upper like, East Side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Park Avenue, 93rd, 92nd. So I was intellectually gifted. I always had a certain amount of popularity at any school I went to. Um, My family moved around a lot. So my social skills were were more mature than, say, other kids in my grade at the time, at, at any time as a child. I was performing early on uh you know 14, 15, 16 here in, in New York, roller skate. Mm-hmm. Used to work at the Roxy. Um so people that that know that era would definitely say like Khalil was a star before he ever, you know, started acting. And I started acting just out of opportunity. That was something that came about. I've never chased any kind of attention.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean we did an interview five years ago. We talked, we You know, I'm who I am. I'm not Mm -hmm. not putting on any airs. and Mm -mm. It's who I am. It is who you are. Like, oh, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be a big star. I'm going to be. That's never been a space that I was comfortable in. Mm -hmm. I really kind of put one foot in front of the other and address what's in front of me. So all of these opportunities that I've had and that have come to me have been very organic. And the things I feel comfortable, I do. The things I don't feel comfortable doing, I say no. respectfully Mm -hmm. um so no as an artist that's something that i think is a descriptive that that gets thrown around a little too loosely
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. i I had
2: to i had to start creating on my own really Mm -hmm. to kind of actually have the comfort level to say that about myself yeah wow you know as an actor you're doing other people's work Yeah. You know, so I could never be overly impressed with that. That's somebody else's words. That's somebody else's vision as a director. That's some, you know, but then I started writing. Um, You get to a place as an actor where producers, directors trust you. So when you come in, you can make suggestions Mm -hmm. um, with the text, with the blocking, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever you're doing. Um, So then that started to change. Yeah, my perception of what I was doing. I was having more input in my performance. You know, even doing more theater mm-hmm. allowed me to kind of really feel more comfortable with that word artist. Really, um, work? Yeah, working with people like Felicia Rashad and yeah. Sidney Poitier and Gregory Hines and you know, bro, I, I did, <laughs> I did this film um, with Sidney Poitier. He produced it. Him and his daughter. Uh, Liani Chazzo directed it We shot in Toronto and my first day on set I, I get brought to my trailer and they say, you know, when you get comfortable, that trailer right there, that's Sidipoté's trailer. You know, he <laughs> You just go stop by. Um, they had hired a kid for my role in Toronto. The director I had just worked with, they weren't happy. Mm-hmm. So he brought me in Sydney Partier didn't know who I was, so Leon showed him the film that we did together. He said, this is Khalil. Watch the film. Cool. Hire him. So it was uh, Zuman. We did Zuman for Showtime.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So I put my stuff down. I go knock on door, go in and Sidney Partier told me uh, you know, I watched Zuman four nights ago. It was really wonderful work. You know? Very nice actor, Khalil. Really excited to have you here. And, and I really didn't have much to say. I don't even remember what I said. Because mm. all I heard was that Sidney Poitier was like, yo, I like your work. I was done. You can talk to me for like two weeks, bro. I was like,
0: it's over.
1: But you have to, but, but Khalil, you have to recognize that like You know, you're saying like, you know, I started identifying as an artist, you know, 15 years ago, but maybe others were seeing you as an artist before you even saw yourself. Because if you're telling me that Sidney Poitier, the iconic actor, you know what I mean? The definition of all things is like, yo, I've seen your work. Right. There's a mastery with that. There's a texture with that, that he was recognizing
2: to be like, yeah, come on,
1: come on over here.
2: Come on over here. You know what I mean? It's also the way I was raised, man. You know, Let other other people do that for me, you know. Mm -hmm. Um definitely let them do it before you do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure we're gonna continue to know each other and and you know five years from now, it's gonna be the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. you're not gonna hear it from me. You know, mm-hmm. um, I will reluctantly brag on myself and and only if it's warranted. Mm-hmm. I I feel like my best work is ahead of me and mm-hmm. I'm not overly impressed with anything that I've done up until this point. I shit you not not
1: Yeah, Yo, okay, you need to stop now. Come on, man. Come on, Khalil. Come on.
2: Come I'm not I, I no, I'm
1: serious. Okay. So, so let's take let's take a step back because you met you worked with Sydney Portier in 1998. That's correct, right? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. It's 1998. So let's, let's rewind like to like about 1990, ni- 1989, right? You're doing commercials. You're, you're, you're starting to like, you know, get into more creative spaces. We'll call them creative spaces uh, of doing work. You, you do, what is it? The, uh, you do some extra work for a new Jack city. Is that correct? Yeah. Right. And what was that like for you? Was that like, okay, so maybe this acting thing might go in, this might be it, right? I'm on the set of New Jack City, right? This is kind of dope. Wesley
2: Snipes, Alan Payne, you know what I mean? Like, do you start? I was bartending at the time. Okay. Wesley Snipes and and Alan Payne used to come into my bar. What bar were you at? The Border Cafe in 100th and Broadway. Okay, okay. Dave Winfield owned the bar.
0: Okay, okay.
2: Okay. Strangely enough, I was at a benefit and Dave Winfield was there and I walked up to him and I was like, yo, Dave, what's up? And he was like, hey, man, how's it going? You showed sure up. I love your work. Bro? And I was like, Dave, I used to work for you. He was like, <laughs> what? You're coming at him like the
1: bartender who was the employee. And he's like, yo, I like you, the actor, Khalil Kane." Yeah, that's hilarious.
2: So he was like, what? And Dave, 6'6", six, six, big dude. He's like, mm-hmm. what? I was like, yeah, man, I bartended for you at the Border Cafe. And he looked at me and he was like, you did. Oh my god, it's great. I was like, yeah, it was good. <laughs> and he was wow. wonderful, man. He was really, really wonderful. That and that bar, anytime Dave hit a home run, the whole bar got a free round. So it was wow. great. Career. But Wesley used to come in that spot and Alan Payne. So I thought when I went over there to do extra work, you know, it was still all good. Fam, no, they're like, you're an extra now. We're the stars of the movie. Hey, Cleo, was good? How you doing? I was like, wow, it's like that. Cool. Okay. And I think three months later, we did juice. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I remember I was at Nell's and Wesley walked up to me. He was like, yo, gosh. I was like, "Ah!" He was like, don't sleep on me. You shouldn't have slept on me. It, kind of, it, it felt good, didn't big, it? Big, big, big respect. I didn't have, again, I didn't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. Wesley came over, gave me, to this day, I mean, Wesley, Wesley came over, gave me a big hug. And, and gave me my props, bro. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: mm-hmm. This is the 30th year, 30th anniversary of Juice. You, that's why I, that's you had you I, got I, your I, shirt.
2: You got Khalil has his his his, his Juice shirt. Who made that? Let's my man, my man, Preston from Famous Black Tees. Bless me with this. Yeah. So IG uh,
1: Famous Black Tees. Famous Black Tees definitely gonna check him out. Yeah. I had to order me order me a shirt or two. Um, oh, you know, man, Preston, Preston Artic on
2: uh ig yeah
1: okay i got you yeah. I'm, I'm definitely check him out. i can write that down right this is now. hot
2: it's one of my favorites of like the juice stuff that that's been sent to me yeah like, i'm sure you probably get stuff all the time oh people are sending you yeah. stuff
1: all the time yeah. about you. <laughs> I'm you, yeah. you 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 so, like, you know, I know that you've talked a lot over the years about Juice. People have asked you so many questions. They have cross-examined you. <laughs> they have they have went above, above, beyond, under. And I when I was thinking about, like, okay, 30 years of Juice, Khalil has literally been asked every single question that you can possibly ask about this movie, this film. When I, when I was thinking about a, a question or just a, a, an approach to just, you know, this movie and this this body of work as an artist i'm going to keep referring to as an artist um, at that time especially you know when you think about that movie the influence that it's had that the influence that it continues to have the way in which you know black men black boys are able to identify in those four characters so closely um what does that mean to you what does that mean to you? Because I because, you know, we could talk a lot about like, you know, the ins and the outs of it all. You know, I know that you were 27 years old when you did that movie playing a teenager looking looking like a teenager, by the way, looking, you know, just don't age. Just, you know, don't does not age. It's the strangest thing. It's like y'all, you and Pharrell got like this weird thing going on where y'all don't age. But, you know, 27 years old, you know what I mean? In, the, in Harlem, New York City, born and raised in New York playing that role, playing, doing all the things that, you know, what does that mean to you now? Um, again,
2: I know it's going to sound fun. Here we go. Here we go. I'm humbled. I really am. man. the fact that Black folks have have embraced, you know, that project, embraced those characters. Um, the fact that 30, 30 years later, people still see Raheem in the street. That means that, like, Raheem lives inside of that you know what I mean we 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 feel it deeply that pain on a regular basis we walk around with that The, the untimely death of our young brothers and sisters so you know when that happened to Raheem I think you know it touched a place culturally for us that that
0: you know having it be in in that space in the theater you know it made it personal, you know? Um, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of that. Um, to this day, Ernest Dickerson, who
2: directed it, you know, I show him so much love every you time- do. And it embarrasses him because he's like, no, nah, man, that was all you. I was like, no, man, you like gave birth to me. Like you, you gave me, you gave me that chance. You believed in me. Like that started everything. I told him, you changed my life. What was like,
1: it like what was it like life. under him? What was it like being directed by Ernest him? Ernest
2: is a beautiful man. Like he's such a kind, like easygoing. Like Ernest never yells, right? Like he's he created a safe space for like four young black men to like do their thing. That's what he did as a director. Like y'all are safe here. Mm-hmm. Go, like stretch out, like really do your thing. Like this is you. This is your time. You know, don't feel you know like any sort of constrictions or or like somebody's gonna come in it. No, this is us. It's just us. Let's go. And you see what happened. like
0: mm-hmm. I, I I remember, you know, seeing Omar and pop like become empowered, you know and and art, that's art, and it's beautiful, you know. There,
1: you know, there have been a lot of conversations around, like, you know, you mentioned Pac and and Omar being in power, but specifically with Tupac, you know, he his album had just came out. I think his first album had just came out in like four or three months before Juice <laughs> had, you know, premiered. Do you think that there there was like, you know, by playing Bishop? And, and, and kind of like, did, was there like a light switch that went off in his head that you saw, Khalil? That was like, yo, like he is gone. Like this, he,
2: he's taking, it's taken over. You know, it's like catching lightning in a bottle for an actor to get an opportunity to perform a role, mm-hmm. a body a character that you know is perfect for you,
0: mm-hmm. but that you
2: know in your bones you're gonna kill this. Like you, mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This like Pac knew he was like, oh my God, this role is perfect for me. Like I'm gonna destroy, like, stomp a mud hole in that. Like mm-hmm. Pac was brilliant in that role. Like mm-hmm. scary. It was scary. It was scary. Pac it was- also, and you believed that he was like their best friend, and when he turned and flipped, you believed that a hundred percent. Like there was no doubt. Like it was problems. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, So, yeah, for him to take that opportunity and maximize it, I'm always going to love him for that. Do you think that
1: when you look back at it and you and you and you reflect on that time, have you since ever had an experience such as that on a set? Do you or do you think that there was something there was like something magical or spiritual that was kind of happening during that time because like, it reflects on the screen and it kind of like
2: connects to people's <laughs> souls, man. That's my, that was my first joint. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, I lost my virginity on the set. Of- <laughs> um, it's always gonna be special. It's always gonna be, you know, the one. But I've been fortunate. Um, I've, had, I've had some really wonderful experiences as an actor. Mm-hmm. Like working on girlfriends.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Ross, Golden mm-hmm. Brooks, Murray Jones, Persian White, Mara Braka That was a beautiful place to go to work. Like, mm-hmm. think about it. Mm-hmm. I would fuck set and be like, hey, right, what's up? Morning. Damn. Morning. Morning. Good morning, future icons. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. Great writing. Fun space. Beautiful sisters. Brilliant. Like, yeah, man. That was, you know and 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 being let in, you know, mm-hmm. having Mara Broka Keel say, you know i'm I'm putting black love on t v mm-hmm. mm-hmm. responsibility to like do your work, you know, come correct
0: mm-hmm.
2: you had you've had this
1: this this impact and an influence on on black television black cinema for sure but black television you've you've been on living single you've been on moesha you've been on sister sister you know what i mean like there, there's been like you have just you've touched so many iconic black specifically tv shows i know you did friends i know you did some other things too but like when we think about like those shows that you know when we're you know it's so funny to talk to kids now especially in this moment because they have so many options khalil they got so many options and i mean we know we need more we know representation is not where it needs to be but just compared to 10 years ago 20 years ago right you know the the options are so much more plentiful now and you see so many more more of us now and it's a great thing to see but like back then it was like yo you you want like you know, some specific sitcoms, you might just have to have like these four or these five or whatever to kind of like tell our stories in an authentic way. You know, when we, I, I'm happy that I'm getting this opportunity to talk to you now because when I talked to you five years ago, I watched girlfriends, but I didn't watch girlfriends. You know what I mean? I, and, and, you know, and, and also, and, and I experienced life. I ain't experienced life. Right. You know what I mean? Like it, it was, it's different now. And I was like, I watched, I did you know, this, this pandemic has been really good for my TV watching and I rewatched all of girlfriends, you know, super, super grown now, you know what I mean? And being able to like, be like, Oh, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, you know, these 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 conversations that weren't translating to a teenager or you, know, you, you, you for everyone who can't see it, Khalil was like drinking some water or whatever. He's like, yeah, he's like these, these conversations that weren't translate, they're translating now because like, you know, as a man and being in various different relationships, you kind of see, but specific to to your character. And, and golden's character in girlfriends you know there was a level of vulnerability that i think that we just did not ever see on television before between a black man and woman you know what i mean and especially you know with the the cheating and the the redemption and the love and the parenting and the the complications of it all we just did not see that but you all really depicted that beautifully can you talk about like what that that was like in that dynamic and how you all were able to kind of like really bring that into the space? I don't know how,
2: um, Maya and Darnell did not get a spinoff show. Like they (laughs) had their own show. It would have been fire. Um, Golden Brooks is a beast. She's a hell of an actor. Um, so it was, it was a great opportunity to come in and play. Um, but also a, a daunting responsibility to represent what is, you know, a black family on on network television, you know on, on I was about it, and I was all over it. I was happy to do it. Um, I think again, what a wonderful experience to to be brought in on that particular show, which was mm-hmm. more tailored to my her personality because of the way mara wrote and her sense of humor what she yeah. thought was funny what she thought was you know interesting um how she portrayed black people mm-hmm. i thought was interesting many colors yeah uh so so i don't know man i i i love darnell wilkes like darnell Again. I, a- I love Darnell too, man. Honestly, like, you, we, t- we, you know. Darnell, I'm like, yo. I, people, my friends are like, isn't that, isn't that weird? I'm like, no, like, I love that. I,
1: I love, love that. at the end of, at, well, we'll talk about the, the the fact that Girlfriend still hasn't had an ending, but the, the Darnell, the fact that Darnell was, it, let me take a step back insecure. There's a lot of conversation around insecure right now because it just ended right. New, a new iconic black show that just completed. And, you know, the fact that they were black and just regular folks, you know, existing, right. They don't have to be sitting here trying to save the world. They don't, they're not, you know, with the president or with the Senate, you know, they're just like regular black folks living in a black neighborhood. And I think that, you know, seeing Darnell and Maya, Right You know, Maya is a secretary. Darnell's working on cars, just making ends meet, taking care of their son. There was something special about that, right? But yet there was a power to that because so many people can identify with that, right? Just working and living and existing. Um, you know, I love Darnell, and, and it would have been dope to get you guys a, a spin-off.
2: <laughs> I would have watched it. Yeah, it would have been fly.
1: Do, nice when 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 you hear all this conversation around girlfriends even to this day and this want for there to be an ending to this <laughs> dynamic series and you see other shows getting rebooted repurposed and 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 relaunched for, for whatever reason when the story is done and girlfriends still has not got it complete
2: how does that make you feel i would love to do a girlfriend's movie i think I think it's a good idea. I think it should be done. I think you know our people want it. um they would they would love to to have it. Um, I'm not in that room, so I don't know why it's not getting done. yeah, everybody, everybody is still alive. everybody still looks great. everybody's still you know viable and and ready to get busy. so i don't I don't know what's going on with that. um but I would love it. i mean one of one of the other Mostly,
1: I say I say a girlfriend's limited series. I think that we need we need yeah, time. Mean, we need time.
2: To just do a film. Yeah, closure would be nice. Yeah, because um, that's what it's about. Um, just from what I've heard, you know, from people that I've run into, fans, whatever. Like they're like, I need closure on that joint. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was a beautiful working experience. Um, and another great experience I had was doing a play called Jim at the Ocean. Mm. And Felicia Rashad directed it. Mm-hmm. Um, August Wilson piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I played Citizen Barlow. It, it changed. It changed my walk, man. And I got that role because Debbie Allen was directing. Girlfriends. Really. Her sister couldn't find her Citizen Barlow, and Debbie Allen was like, "What about Khalil?" And what year was this, Khalil?
0: Uh, I don't know. Damn. Were you doing girlfriends at the time still? Yeah. Okay. This yeah. is like early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. My sense of you- time. I don't really mess with time. My sense of time is skewed. But I wish
2: we would understand how important these bonds are. Yeah. Like that when I leave, you're going to go and speak about me, and I'm going to go and speak about you out into the world. So if we keep those bonds strong and correct, like everybody moves forward in a positive rhythm you know what i mean like everybody is getting love everybody is moving forward stronger not weaker Mm -hmm. not 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 more scarred like when i found out that debbie spoke up for me like that you know you gotta love it you gotta Mm -hmm. be grateful you know you Mm -hmm. gotta be humble because it was it was it was i went to school felicia rashad like it was an education Mm -hmm. an august wilson intensive it was Mm -hmm. Wonderful for me mm-hmm. um, as a person, as an actor, as a black man, like it was necessary. Mm-hmm. And I got that opportunity because these two iconic black women decided, why not, you know, bless. Her.
1: What is Felicia Rashad like? You talked, you said that she's like, a, you know, bad. a lesson.
2: You say, what?
0: She's bad, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> she,
2: <laughs> I wish every every young lady I know could have the opportunity to just spend, you know, 24 hours with her. Really? Yeah. What do you think they'll learn? They, they'll learn some posture. They will learn to correct their speech and, and, and correct their whole vibe. Like that level, that ultra level of femininity, mm-hmm. that maternal spirit that's in them at a genetic level, she'll kick them to that and empower that for them because it's a huge it's a devastating power like devastating power in the world
1: the, you mentioned maternal and it kind of like sparked something in me that i wanted to ask you about um taraji B. henson mentions often about how like she literally you know packed up her three or five-year-old son and moved to la and went for it right and went for her dreams you are a father right and there are many artists out there actors who, who say like, you know, I want to pursue this, but I'm a parent or I have responsibilities and it's very, I, I just, I to like, I can't do it anymore. What allowed you or what pressed, what gave you the encouragement to kind of press forward to continue to like, you know, do your craft and still be a parent, still be a son, still be a partner, still be a friend and be able to manage all these different things.
0: If
2: it's authentically who you are, be who you are the people that love you need to respect that people that love you need to embrace that. Again, this way, those bonds, we empower each other, Mm -hmm. tear each other down, like respect who I am, you Mm -hmm. know, but you got to know who you are before that can happen. So that's kind of, you know, part of the deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Knowing who you are is something that I think that it, it, it sticks with you. Like the authenticity radiates uh, from you, Khalil, even through the computer.
2: and yeah, But again, that that comes from authentic bonds. Like mm-hmm. I can say who I think I am, but if who I think I am matches up with who you say I am, mm-hmm. then it becomes real. Mm-hmm. You know? So as much as I want something, you know, to have. To have the community, to have the people, to have the tribe speak, and they tell you, "Yes, we co-sign that." Then it's done. You it's know? done. Walk, you know, walk in truth, walk in power.
1: I, I want to talk to you a little bit about *For Color Girls* um, because you talked about the the the, the switch that kind of like went on and off with with pot and juice, and I feel like your character in *For Color Girls* was. <clears throat> probably one of the most horrifying and scary uh, portrayals that I've ever seen. I mean, that movie was just dark um, in many ways, in many respects, but your character specifically was was definitely that. What do you remember from that experience and what did you kind of take away from that experience after portraying someone so, you know, literally like a light bulb, like this perfect guy, perfect gentleman, wonderful, and then just immediately just shifts.
2: Respect the craft. Uh, that was a tough day of work on the set with the Doni Rose, myself, uh, shooting that rape scene. And there was a ton of respect in the room. Um, Tyler Perry, I'm sure, made sure that that was the case. But even with that being said, like, I could tell, like, people were respecting my space
0: mm-hmm. and
2: watching to see, they wanted to see what I, what, what we were going to create, you know? Mm-hmm. So that that made me feel empowered mm-hmm. to, to sort of let, you know, it's hard, man. The fact is, it's hard for Black people to feel empowered in America.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: You, grow up, you grow up being told you're less than from everything that you see um, and hear and are told um, by the powers that be, you know, from kindergarten on. Mhm. It's hard when you get in a position to be actually empowered to to believe it, to believe it's true. You know, you're going to doubt it right out of the gate. You got to be a special black person to not doubt that, you know, to not have that moment of like is this real? Can I, you know, really stretch out like that? So that was nice, you know, to see Tyler running the show. Mhm. And then, you know, when I step on the set, see everybody like just chill and, you know, oh shit, you know, Khalil Kane's on the set, let's
0: Mm -hmm.
2: get our shit together, it was nice, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and and we did what we were supposed to do, you know, Nickelodeon Rose is
1: fantastic.
2: Fantastic. I I mentioned at
1: the beginning of this conversation that, you know, you embody a love for black people. um, And, you know,
2: in an interview, I remember bucket list people to work with early on. And one of those people was Whoopi Goldberg. Like so for, for color girls, like one of my first days of work. I'm working with whoopi goldberg you know mm-hmm.
1: I, i'm about to say like you literally get, i mean you're working with felicia i mean everybody's in that movie like every every every, every black person in, in in hollywood seemed to be in that movie i mean like it's Janice just like jackson. if you if, yeah janet jackson
2: bro dandy newton yeah sitting next to her in the makeup trailer or a single morning i was like oh my god She's bad, dude. She's so nice. And she's such a nice person, but she just... So think about it. Walk into the trailer, and Janet Jackson's sitting there. What do you say?
1: Hi, I'm Khalil Kane.
2: No, no!
1: (laughs) Very nice to meet you. Hello. Hello. It's, not, Hello. it's Hello. not that
0: easy, bro. Hello. Yes, it is it's that
1: easy, Khalil. Not, Hello. Not Khalil, not we, we, we were j- Khalil, we were just talking about how the internet swoons over you, man. Like, literally. I don't
0: care. Literally. It's, literally, it's exactly. like,
1: it's literally, it's like,
2: hi, Janet. All right, all right, all right, I'm going to tell, tell you on the real. She's sitting in a chair. She's studying her lines. She's in work mode. She ain't trying to be, you know, Messed with you can see she's focusing. Her character was on some shit, so she's in in her zone. You could tell. Mm-hmm. So I walked in. Oh, good morning, hi, yeah, hi, hi.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was just like, do do you say, hey, Janet? Good morning, Janet. How's it? And I said, hi. And I went inside myself.
1: You say hi, Janet. I Jackson. said no. I'm Khalil Kane. Iconic time. actor, all I said.
0: Time. Iconic time. actor
1: Khalil Kane. Hey, you worked with Tupac, I worked with Tupac. Let's talk about that. None of
2: that happened. I was like, I bro, know. like literally, I
0: was like, oh,
2: I did. Tupac, Tupac did poetry. I froze oh. up a little bit. I oh did. my
1: gosh, <laughs> man.
2: Okay, all right. Well, but, you know, but at the time. Back then, I was dating this girl. She was a dancer, and she auditioned for Janet's tour. It was like a 100-hits tour. It was a big deal. The dance community in LA, everybody was up for it. She went to like three callbacks, and then the last one didn't get it. She was heartbroken. She was crushed. She was pissed that she didn't get this tour. Yeah. Tour comes around. I get a call from my agent. They're like, oh, Janet Jackson's people called us. And wanted to know if you'd like tickets to come to the show. Mm-hmm. Backstage passes and so I was like, we're cool. Because I we really didn't talk like that on the set. I said hi a couple of times in passing. We didn't have scenes together. All good. I was like, hell yeah, I want to go to the show. So I take my dancer girlfriend with me to the show. She's amped because all her friends are in the show. And she loves Janet Jackson. So I was like, look, it's cool. I got backstage passes and all that. We'll go. We'll try it. But I don't really know Janet like that, so don't expect, you know, mm-hmm. a whole mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Of course, after the show, we're backstage. Janet Jackson comes in. She goes, Khalil. Oh my God! Big old hug. I was like, um, Hey, what's, what's good? Yeah. Let's stay in touch. Here's my number. Right. This is my. This is my life, bro. my life. And of course, my girl was like, "I thought y'all didn't know each other like that."
1: Right. Who? Who is? Oh, so okay. So you talked about was, Sydney. She's
2: like, let's take pictures, all
1: that. You talked about Sydney. You talked about Janet. Who is someone who like? Okay, and those like, I would be lost for for words between those two. Has there been anybody else who you've been like that you've met? Just shocked. Couldn't get a word out.
0: I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't
1: know. I've met a lot of folks. I know you've met a lot of people. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: I can't. I can't. Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Tell me that story. Yeah, I got, I got a little choked up when I met Al Pacino. I was doing a TV show called Lush Life. It was myself, Laurie Petty, Karen Parsons, and John Ortiz. Uh, yeah, 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 uh-huh. John Ortiz is, is a lovely actor. So Penny Marshall has this birthday party every year. Her and Carrie Fisher would have this birthday party together. And everybody and their mamas at this party. Like, it's huge. Like Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So I did this film Renaissance, man, with Penny Marshall. So I get invited to this, this party. So one year I took John with me, the year we were doing this TV show. I'm like, yo, you want to come to this party with me? He's like, bet, you know, it's much his birthday. It's going to be dope. We get there, party. John's like, oh, shit, this is crazy. Like, look at this this. Khalil, thank you. Thank you so much. This is amazing. I owe you one. This is like the best party. I'm having the best time. You're the man. As, you. And as he's saying this. Al Pacino walks in the door and John Ortiz had just done Carlito's way with Al Pacino. And I wow. was like, you owe me one.
0: I want to be me. Now, right there. <laughs> I want to be the Introduce so Al- me right Al-
2: now. Up, yeah, it was dope, man. It was so cool. And when Al, and, and you're talking about like Christopher Walken, like, uh, you know, she, everybody, everybody Pacino, she, fucking people are in this room. You know, Meryl Streep, Meryl Streep touched my face. Oh, my God, your skin touched my face. (laughs) Crazy. What do you use? Right. But when Al walked in the door, everybody was it wasn't just me. Everybody was like, Al, Al. It was dope. He's the man. So, yeah, it was cool. That was, that was a lot of fun. Al Pacino, what year was that? 98, maybe 99. 98,
1: 99. Wow, Khalil, the '90s, man. God bless the '90s. God bless the '90s. God bless. I mean, the '90s. I mean, I. I'm happy that you lived. I'm happy somebody and was able to live it the way it needed to be. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. All right. I got one for you. Who I was, Tongue tied, shut down. Okay. Whitney Houston. First time I met Whitney Houston. Um, Where? I did a table read for the preacher's wife. Really? Yeah. So who are you going to play? I was just in, because Penny Marshall directed that. So she just right. had using some roles, different roles. You know? Okay. But yeah, everybody's there, whatever. And I was with um, one of the producers of the movie who also produced Renaissance Man, this woman, Sarah okay. Colton. We're talking, and across the room, Whitney Houston walks in and waves at me. People, everybody's coming over, and she looks at me and sees me and goes, huh? And I was like, hey. And Sarah was like, I didn't know you, you. You no know, Whitney. I was like, I don't. She goes, Well, she knows you. You better go over there and say hi. I was like, All right. Went over. She said, Oh my God, Khalil, I
0: love you. great, God. Yeah,
2: right.
1: Khalil, that was what, 95, 96? I'm pretty sure I came out in 97. So, wait. So, that was right around the time when you did Love Jones. Yeah. So, of course, she knows you. Of
2: course, like that- <laughs> Come on, bro. So, you're good. No, I'm sorry. My brain does not work that way. I was not thinking like Whitney Houston knows who the hell I am. Love Jones was like the biggest black love movie that year, Khalil. And that was an amazing job. My first day at work, I got to kissing along and that like made my year. Yeah. First day and, Whitney, and Whitney Houston saw it. And Ted, and, Ted, and Ted Witcher was like, cut. And I turned around, he's like.
0: <laughs>
2: I was like, Ted, I love you. I I appreciated
1: your character in that because I think that in in many respects, your character in Love Jones was supposed to be the guy who had it all together. He literally had the suit job. He had the apartment. He lived in New York. He had it all together. But even still, it wasn't enough. And I think that a lot of times people don't talk about that because like a lot of times people look at security as enough. But it wasn't. It wasn't enough.
2: She left you in the morning. (laughs) <laughs> one of the things I love about that film also, and I love about what Ted Witcher did with Love Jones, he made a point. He was very, um, his intention was to make sure we look beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like these, these Black folks need to look gorgeous. Like, it's one thing for somebody to be good looking, attractive, beautiful, handsome, pretty, whatever. The camera does what the camera is going to do. Mm-hmm the director, the cinematographer, whomever, with lighting and angles, you can make a beautiful person look average. Mm -hmm. You can make uh, an average person look beautiful. It's the power of filmmaking, the power of of cinematography, lighting. Like, Ted was about it. Like, that's something that over the course of my career, I noticed working, like, directors, filmmakers that aren't us, that's not something that's really on their mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
2: that, I, it's my responsibility to make sure this person looks beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When I come across those filmmakers, when I come across those artists, this guy, Liani Chazzo, I remember a uh, Cuban director, older guy mm-hmm. that I work with, Zuman.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. in that film. Um, I remember after a shot one time, he told me I owed him money because you look so beautiful in this shadow, you know, because the sunlight was coming down. And he, I remember him yelling, we got to get this. We got to get this. Because the sun, just where it was, was he knew. So it was golden. This was it. Um, and we, he cut. Oh, he goes, you owe me money. You owe me money. <laughs> you know, and, and, and in fact, when I saw the shadow, I was like, wow, that looks amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
2: love Jones. When I come to her apartment and she opens the door and I'm standing there like, I'm like, thank you. Tell Witcher." Thank you. You know, oh, just looks near come on, Nia Long, Lorenz Tate, they look stunning, like mm-hmm. beautiful black people. And and back then, you know, no not every I mean people
1: talk about it now, but like back then, you know, people were talking about how to light black people, how to get the skin the way it needs to be. You know, you know, like they weren't having those conversations again. And like I look at some of like the really, really older TV shows, like if you look at like um, Julia with Diane Carroll. Right. And I'm like, yo, they could have did so much more. Like Diane Carroll is stunning. She's beautiful, even with what they gave her, which wasn't a lot, but they gave her enough. But like, it's just like, yo, what would have happened if you would have just like lit black people the way that they needed to be lit, you know, And, and it's so exciting to kind of see it now, like, I think Ava Durbinet does it incredibly, like when you look at Queen Sugar, I mean, like this skin looks almost like butter, (laughs) like it looks like butter, but like to take Love Jones and to take, you know, it's like, wow, like this is not only like, uh, is the, is the story beautiful, but also the imagery, the aesthetic, you know, the placement, it's all perfect. Even, even in despair and sadness, when y'all weren't working, we, when it wasn't working out, I was like, but "This is a really beautiful argument that there, and it looks great." Like, you know, no, I, I hear you on that. Do you? Do, is there is there a film? that you know that you say man i wish i would have i wish i would have did i wish i would have did that or i wish i would have like you know um been a part of that is there anything that you know in the last 20 years that you can like kind of
2: like well there's 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 three films that you didn't get that i was close to getting and i feel like if i would have gotten those films things may have turned a little would have been a little more lit like (laughs) <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, that Mercutio role—I was down to the water on that. I was surprised I didn't get it. Um, and 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 what they did in the film was like polar opposite to what I presented in my okay. audition. Okay. So so you know he just liked what liked that idea. Um, paid in full. Paid in full. Yeah. Which role? Which character? Cameron's role.
0: Wow. Okay.
2: Yeah, I was told, you know, that I was the director's first choice on that.
0: Okay. And
2: he ended up going to Cameron, but Dave Dash is the executive producer. Mm-hmm. Cameron had an album coming out. That was his dude. That was the way he went with that. But, like, I was, I was cooking on all cylinders on that, on that mm-hmm. joint. That was,
0: mm-hmm.
2: it would have been, I think it would have been a different film, you know, um, for sure. With me playing that Alpo role. A uh, little different.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And remember the Titans. Wow, man. Which role? The lead. The Denzel? Player.
1: Yeah. No, not Denzel, the football player. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, okay, okay. Uh, I was not, like, wait. Not, 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 uh, not damn. His name. Man. What's the name? He's in
2: painted full, Harry. too. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That's my dude too. I can't believe
1: him Blake. Hold on, let me look at. Wood it Harris's brother
2: is
1: Hold on, I don't know, man. Come on, give me a second. Hold wow. on. Wow. My my mind is This is the great thing about the internet, man. Hold on. Yeah, oh, Julius, Julius Campbell. The, the, the character is Julius Campbell and it's Wood Harris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harris. Yeah, you're right. You had you had it. You had it. It was Wood Harris. You said it. I thought I, thought I got the brothers
0: mixed up. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah,
2: you got it. Good job. So I literally booked that role. They Really? My agent, it's yours. Now, all that has to happen is Jerry Bruckheimer has to sign off on the tape. But congratulations, Khalil. They sent the tape over to, to Jerry Bruckheimer, and he said no. Wow.
1: Yup. Does, does it still bother you to this day, or you've kind of let it go? It's salty as a month ago. Really?
0: All really? Ones. Yeah.
1: Which one the most?
0: I don't know, man. I don't know.
1: B- very different, very different films, though. Very like it's, there is not a there's not a connection that I can. I mean, my feeling is I
2: should have done all three. Mm-hmm. You know. And what was the film with with uh, Jada Pinkett and Alan Payne and Bokeem Woodbine? Jason Lyric. Jason's Lyric. How how do I not play Alan Payne's brother? You went out for that role too. Word. Wow. Wow. I was like, "Are they serious?" After the third callback, I was like, "What?" And then I saw they hired Bokeem. I was like, "Word, okay." If That's so that, that like, you, like
1: thinking about how all of those movies would have been so different with you. I'm, yeah, specific, I mean, specifically, how are me and Alan Payne not playing brothers? I mean, yeah. Stop it. I mean, I mean, y'all got the light skin thing on lock, bro. <laughs> 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 you guys got the you light guys, skin. Y'all, y- y'all, were, y'all were definitely, uh, before Drake was even even a thing, like y'all were definitely doing like, it for the light skin guys, man.
2: I didn't understand it. it. It seemed just arbitrary. So I was just like, whatever. I'm not even going to think about it. You,
1: know. you, you mentioned before we even started this conversation that you, you truly believe your best work is ahead of you. Um, yeah. you know, what, what are you really looking forward to in the future, man? Like what is some of the things and what are some of the type of projects that you, that you're looking forward to? Obviously, well, not obviously, but I watched Bronx SIU and I, and I really appreciated your role in that. I thought that that was like, I don't know. I, there's something about you being in New York, man. I just like you in New York. If you could just do every movie in New York, like I think we we'll Will be good like it'll be
2: squared away i mean la is cool no, like whatever we're working but we're like working on a deal right now to shoot a film in ghana so we'll see if that works out ghana. Um, I love my time in africa um as far as what's coming up excuse me what i'm looking forward to is is like really stepping into to the space of being a storyteller for real as an actor again i'm helping facilitate someone else tell their stories um, I've been doing a lot of writing. Um, I've got some stuff in development that's viable. I have I have a film coming out on BT Plus in a couple of days called The Millennial. The Millennial. Acted in that. Um, great start. I have a play called Lambs to Slaughter. Congratulations. Thank you. This play, Lambs to Slaughter, that I wrote, I'm officially a playwright also. Thank you. Uh, we closed a deal yesterday with the Cherry Lane Theater. So it's going to be at Cherry Lane here in New York in That's June, um, but again, this is my voice. Yeah, these are my stories. This is yeah. my perspective. It's your vision. It's a whole, whole different, different vibe. Um, so yeah, being able to now say I'm an artist, I got no, I got no problems with that. I'm comfortable in that space now. Um, because yeah, I'm, I'm doing the work to be able to sort of back that up. I mean, you've
1: been doing it for so long now, man, and you're still in the I mean, it game. Doesn't feel long really long at all really for real 30 years don't feel it just feels like really
2: wow that's why in the meetings that i have now the teams that are getting sort of assembled and put together i'm like yo let's go because this last 30 years shot by so like um i got 10 years to really kind of do my thing and then i'm gonna want to sit chill, playing with my grandkids, you know? <laughs> playing my grandkids. That's exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm about to kick six, 60 in the ass.
1: I mean, Khalil, you look like you're about, like, 35. ever but... Like, you look like you're about
2: 35, man. The fact of the matter is, you said, when you did Juice, you were 27. At, we're, yeah, yeah so at 30. 30th year anniversary. Like, I'm closer to 60 than, you know, anybody wants to feel comfortable about <clears throat> So like I said, I got 10 years where I'm like wanna ball out and like really Mm -hmm. push out whatever it is I'm gonna push out. And then I'm gonna wanna, you know, chill. Yeah, sip on something and play with my grandkids. (laughs) Preferably in a beach, probably. That would be nice in Africa. Ah,
1: Africa. Okay. Do you um do you think as as you move forward, do you think that you're gonna want to lean more into being a director? a writer, an actor, or do you just want to do all of the above? And I and also, before you even answer that, I remember the first time we ever met, you invited me to one of your live performances in Brooklyn, and it was incredible it was incredible. It's something about, it's something about that, the live play performance stuff. And it was very intimate. I feel like it was at a church or something. I don't know. It was very intimate. You, know, Brooklyn's cool. Right. So it's like, it's very intimate. It was packed in there. And it was just like this spoken word type of performance. You have to t- remind me the name of it. This is like, probably like 2016, no, 2016, it's, I don't remember what it, was, it was your mother was there your mother was like sitting in the front and, and it was just so powerful so there, there there's there there's definitely like you know there there was a there was an aura there but like the, is there a lane that you want to go to is there something well, calling were, you more?
0: so
2: those poems that I was working are in this play that's going to be a cherry lane these mm-hmm. were all poems that I was sort of Working out and and workshopping and and developing for this piece that's about to go up in June, um, at the Cherry Lane Theater. Uh, so you know the process is the process. Like this play is going to go up, and everybody's going to go, oh, cool, or not, or whatever. Like I've been working on that play for the last ten years. Really? Yeah, bro. Wow. So, look, the twenty-year anniversary of Juice. I had just came back to New York. Um, I did a whole benefit thing. We did a party. We did a big screening in Harlem. Um, we and I found this group called Harlem Mothers Save. I was like, cool, because the whole gun violence thing is the it is the seminal issue in juice. Right. So this group, Harlem Mothers Save, counsels and takes care of mothers who've lost a child to gun violence. Mm. The woman jackie rowe adams who who helped found that that organization, still doing it, she lost two of her sons to gun violence. Devastating. So I meet them. I was up there hanging out with the mothers, hearing their stories, you know, intimately go up there and support. We got them, so for the twenty year anniversary, we were able to get them a check to help them do their work, and we did our thing that night. but we've stayed in touch since, but listening to the stories of the mothers. And what they went through, it prompted me to write this play, Lambs to Slaughter. Yeah. So, yeah, that was 10 years ago when I met those moms. Years. And it's
1: coming out this year. Yeah. In June. Yeah. And I'm going to get the invite. Oh, most def. My Yo. God. My yeah. God. Don't forget about me, Khalid.
2: I- I'll send you the play if you want to read it.
1: Yeah. I- I'm excited. Send it to me, please. You got my email address. I'm definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. ready. I'm yeah. definitely ready. Okay. Um, so back to my original question, though. Which lane is calling so, you I more will, I will Dick. No, yeah, yo, yo, you're, you're you're good, but I've gotten better over the years. so i'm I'm interested in which lane is calling you more, right? Is it the playwriting? Is it the is it the being in that space? Is it the directing? Is it the acting? Is it the you know what what is it? It all what? starts with the writing. Starlin
2: starts with the writing. Okay. yeah. So, okay. so the writing, the writing is sort of the base. The everything base. everything will come out of that. So right. there will be. I mean, because like the millennial was something that I that I came in on.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It was um, already written. I was asked to direct it, but I felt like it needed work, so I was mm-hmm. the one who rewrote it and mm-hmm. turned it into something that I that I could kind of imagine on my accident in it. But again, that the germ of that that story was not mine.
0: Um, being able to take something from the beginning and it come from me um, is is a whole nother nother thing. So
2: that's where we're at right now. Um, Shout out to Jose Rivera. I'm in his writer's workshop here in the city. He's writing 100 Years of Solitude right now for Netflix. And I've heard it in the workshop and it's stunning. But like being in rooms like that have really helped uh, my writing grow. Evolve, mature. Um, so I'm excited for for what's ahead. Like I've got I've got a few scripts uh right now, something like something called Bulletproof Summer, uh, another thing called Fight Radio. Um, I just sent something called Thicker Than Water out to Houston. We might be shooting that in March. So I've been staying busy, bro.
0: You know, it's on amazing. the red. Like wow,
1: that's amazing, Khalil. I'm I'm excited for you, man. I'm excited for these next 10 years. I'm excited yeah, for these yeah. next oh, t- 10 hey, years specifically. It's gonna be, it's gonna be different. It's gonna be different. Yeah, I guess the way I would really want to close this conversation, because um, I'm respectful of, you, of the king's time. Um, <laughs> if you, when you think about those four four young men uh, in Juice, the characters uh, in Juice, and you, you know that there are uh, millions. Um, uh, of young black brothers who who are just like those four kids, what advice do you have for them? What advice do you have for them? or or what advice would you have wanted during that time? because there's so many kids who are just like those it's kids? It's
2: hard, man. Like we talk about
0: <clears throat> giving advice to these kids. Why don't we give them some advice to their parents? Mm. You know, I really wish we were able to sort of be raised with love being
2: like the first step to everything we deal with. Uh, that's not how, especially the, the male children, the men, the young men, like that's not how I was raised in the streets of New York. Like it was doggy dog. Like you better be able to handle your business. So you're going to get chewed up. Like you're going to, you're dead. Like you're going to lose your life. You're going to be, you know, you're not going to go anywhere unless you're able to handle your business, you know, and that wasn't about love. That's based in fear.
0: and mm-hmm.
2: like if everybody's operating from that place, it's a different world. Like it's a different street. It's a different outlook completely. And that's not where we're at right now. You know, um, you can look directly to that story. you know, you you separate, you extract the fear out of that story and you replace that with love and Raheem never gets killed. Wow. Love is the first step, man. Yeah, but how do we learn that? How do we learn that that's a safe place to be? How do we learn that there's ultimate power in that? That it, there's much more power in me embracing my brother than punching him in his face. He's like, you know, and that's what I was taught. Like, you know, you, you, you hit first. I had no problems with that, you know, as a youth. And I I regret behaving that way. Knowing what I know now. Like my children don't behave that way. That's not what they were taught. And it's not like my parents taught me that. I learned that in the street. It's a difficult proposition. But yeah, you know, love your brother, love your sister. That's the best advice I could give, I guess.
1: Love your brother, love your sister. Khalil Kane, the legend. The artist, the actor, the writer, the director. My man,
2: my man, I appreciate you. Thank you for your time, right, man. man. Like I said last time, anytime, hit me up, we'll chop it.